called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So a couple of months ago, um, my wife and I invited some William students over, and uh, Phil and Joseph and uh, Sean and Naomi, so four of the people you just saw up here, were the four of several who were invited. And this was pretty interesting to me, right? Naomi's hyperventilating right now because she doesn't know which of the many stories I could tell from that, that one evening. But uh, I had cooked a, like a 22-pound turkey um, just because I wanted to, uh, along with seven sticks of butter. It was amazing. <laughs> That's right. And uh, uh, as I was cleaning up, right, so I'm clean. Like our kitchen's a wreck, if you can imagine, dinner for, for 12 or so. Um, my kitchen's a wreck, and I'm like scrubbing some stuff. And all of a sudden, it dawns on me that there's actually a concert happening right there in my kitchen. And I, I sort of looked to the left from my sink because, well, I've never had a concert in my kitchen before. And Joseph has taken a stack of paper plates, and he's using them as a tambourine against my kitchen countertop. And, and Naomi uh, and Phil break out in a rendition of some song from some famous musical that, I don't know, The Sound of Music or something I had never really heard of before. And there was like the do's and the la's and the rays and the me's and, and it just, I didn't know that that song's actually around because they sang it as a round for a good like 20 minutes or so. <laughs> and what I found was the most amazing part was that every round was different and somehow they had this like pre-ordered, uh, like Joseph did the first time through and then Naomi did the second time through, and then Sean did the third time through, and they were all different, which is bizarre to me because I thought there was only one way to sing every song. But that's what happens when you grow up in a pasty church in New England. So you don't, you don't realize that there are many beautiful ways to do the same thing. Um, so I'm not going to take credit for what happened up here this morning. But it was right after they all left that night, I sent an email out to my elders and I said, I found some other people to help us lead worship. So you're all welcome. <laughs> but uh, seriously, praise God for the many, many different people and walks and cultures and backgrounds that all find their way here. Um, we are, as Paul writes, uh, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the Lord. An incredible testimony to who God is and to the universal church. So we just stopped talking about the resurrection and we have a new series that culminates in 
the resurrection. Because as Paul tells us, without the resurrection, none of what we do matters even a little bit. And so Paul, who on his travels stopped by Corinth, ended up staying for 18 months, and he founded this church. Corinth was an amazing, amazing place. And let me just take a quick look at the clock, because I don't want to spend more than two minutes on this. But I find it so interesting, these ancient Roman cities. Corinth was right in the place, if you can imagine Greece, there's like sort of like the mainland, and then there's this tiny little piece of land. It's only a couple miles wide, and then it opens up, and there's Athens and Sparta and all the rest. Corinth is, is right at that tiny little place. And uh, boats, instead of going all the way around, they figured out how to pull these giant boats as long as our church is wide, they would pull them out of the water. And they built this road out of rock. And they put these grooves in the rock. And they would pull the boats up on these little wagons. And they would literally pull them several miles from one, the Corinthian Sea, over to the Aegean Sea. Um, and eventually, a few hundred years later, uh, Alexander the Great comes and conquers them few hundred years after that, the Romans conquer Corinth again. Uh, several times it was destroyed, but it was always rebuilt. And these people had such an incredibly powerful history that was at the core of who they were. They were Roman sort of long before there was a Rome. You know, we, we think about Rome as being the conquerors of the Mediterranean, but the Romans were actually conquered by the Greeks in that when Rome conquered Greece, they took on Greek culture. The Romans looked far more like Greeks when we're talking in the 100 AD than the Romans ever looked like, quote-unquote, Romans from when Romulus and Remus founded Rome. So these people had this incredibly deep culture, and uh, <clears throat> it started to interfere with who they were as Christians. Not like us not unlike us at all today, right, where we have problems with our culture sort of poking in on who we are and what we want to be. And so these people had lots of questions even after Paul left. And so they wrote Paul this letter. And in chapter 7, Paul uh, answers some of these questions that they have. But they were having trouble. They are having trouble trying to balance their faith. They had divisions among them between rich and poor and equality. Uh, based on wealth. They were divisive in many ways, and there was definitely some arrogance that you can see along with their internal politics. They were surrounded by immor uh, immorality on a daily basis. They had problems in their marriage. They had idols. There were things that they loved more than God. This is one of the things that I love most about the Bible, is that even though this letter was written about 2,000 years ago, it's us, right? People are people. We are broken in all of the same ways that people have been for millennia. And so Paul might, have, might as well have written this letter directly to us. And so he's going to answer this letter. First um, Corinthians is actually the second letter, at least, that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And Second Corinthians is most likely the fourth letter that he wrote to them. Unfortunately, the other two have been lost to time. Um, but Paul builds this beautiful argument 
that leads us to the resurrection. Let me just say one more thing about this series that we're going to be doing. The series uh, about worldviews is really meant to teach us about who we are at our core, how we should see the world. Our worldview is really our most basic and core beliefs. And through that, we interpret everything else that we see and hear. Imagine if I were up here with, say, a pair of my daughter's glasses that were purple and had purple lenses. I might look out at all of you and say, my, you look purpley today. Or you look sparkly today, or whatever the case may be. Why? Not necessarily because you're all purple, but because as I see you, it's going through these purple lenses. And so everything looks purple. This series is about our God lens. This series is about our Jesus lens. How do we interpret the world happening around us, and how does that affect what we do, what we say, and who we are? Before I go any further... Let me pray for our time together. God, thank you that we can be here today. I pray, God, that you would give us wisdom to understand who you are and what you want for us. God, give us humility so that when you teach us, we may not be too proud to understand what you want for us. God, give us power in the Holy Spirit to take what you Tell us to do and enact it in our lives. God, surround us in love so that everything we do may reflect you in a perfect way. In your name I would pray, amen. So I must confess that I'm one of these people who, when they start reading Paul's letters, often likes to skip over the first couple of verses. It's just like this blah, 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 blah. just want to get to the meat of it. Our family watched Kung Fu Panda last night. And there was this one scene where the panda is fighting this giant ox. And the ox comes with his bad guy soliloquy. And the panda keeps interrupting him with chit-chat, chit-chat, chit-chit-chit-chit-chit. And the bad guy can't get two words out. I often feel like these intros are the chit-chat that should just be skipped in order to get to what it is that Paul wants us to do. But in these three verses, Paul tells us three things that make up the basic of his worldview through which we can interpret the rest of Corinthians. These three things are so important to what he believes, I am amazed that he figured out how to get it into these three short verses. So these verses teach us three things, which coincidentally are my three points today. The first is, who is God? Who is God? The second is, who are we? And the last is, what's our purpose? So who is God? Who are we? And what's our purpose? So besides those three points, I have one other aside. So my asides are like somewhere where I'm going to just veer off, and somehow it's connected, but I couldn't quite figure out how. So instead of reconstructing the whole thing to have four points, that are all like nicely packaged. It's three points plus one, like it's right there, but it's not quite there. I'll let you know when we get there. 
So who is God? The first thing that Paul does is he recognizes that God exists, called by the will of God. Recognizing that Paul exists is probably the most fundamental question that every person on earth can ask themselves. Does God exist? The answer to that changes everything. Because if the answer is yes, then it leads us to a place where we really need to find out why and how and who that is and what it means for us. The majority of Americans, when polled, believe that there is a God. There's some people right now at the, at the Collider, uh, which I think is in Michigan or South Dakota, North Dakota, they have this like giant contraption that's underground, and they're trying to figure out where the universe came from. Right? How do we get matter? How can you create what is here? So long before we're talking about the earth or the sun or even the stars, we're talking about this, the basic building blocks of where things came from. How did it get here? And I think for a lot of people it makes sense that something can never come from nothing. Things can change, right? You can take a tree and it can die and it can turn back into dirt, right? You can take a, a star and it burns itself out and it ends up as something else. But where do these basic building blocks come from? If there is a God, it puts us on this path and we just, we got to answer it. Because if we are created, then knowing who our creator is, is incredibly important. Paul is recognizing that there is a creator. And the second thing he is recognizing here is that he was called to do something. Paul, called by the will of God. Paul was created for a purpose, as we were all created for a purpose. And if we believe there's a God, what's our purpose in light of that information? I'm going to be getting to that in a little bit. And the third thing that he recognizes here is that he's going to obey that calling. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Our God is a personal God. Note what Paul says here. Paul, called by. It doesn't say mankind generally called by a force that may or may not care what we do. That's not the God that we have. Any one of us could substitute our name here for Paul. Joseph, called by the will of God to be. Brian, called by the will of God to be. Every one of us can put our name right there called by the will of God to be. God wants each of us because he loves us. This is the first place where believing in God becomes hard. Whereas most Americans would say that they believe that God created the universe, very, very few Americans know why or how to interpret it or what to do with that information. And one of the things that I've found through mostly my relationships at work and outside of church is that one of the reasons that people don't like Christianity is because what it means if we recognize God as God. So it's not recognizing 
that there's a creator that becomes offensive to many people. It's what it means that becomes offensive. And one of the things that I hear, especially in my workplace, is that Christianity sounds great, but it's just so restrictive. I can't be me if I'm a Christian. So here is my first aside. I think of God's commands to us being very similar to the traffic laws. So when I'm going down the highway at some unspecified speed, and I look at the other side of the highway, and there's cars coming the other direction, I could say, man, I'm just not free. i got to drive on this side of the highway. What I really want to do is drive on that side of the highway. And unless I can drive on that side of the highway, I'm not free to be completely self-actualized. I'm not free to be who I'm created to be. I am stuck here on this side of the highway, and that's not fair. And what would happen if I went to the other side of the highway? I would experience all this freedom and probably kill myself. At the very least, it would be, my wife is going to disagree with me because she would say this is what every car ride with me is like, but at the very least, driving on the other side of the highway would be the scariest experience of your life. Is it true that we are not entirely free because we're confined to our side of the highway? Yes, that is true. We are confined by stop signs and red lights and speed limits and yield signs and do not enter signs. Although I did have a wrestling coach who, when pulled over for going down a one-way street the wrong way, said to the police officer, Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it said donut. Enter. Yeah, true story. True story. Imagine that you're a fish, and you were built to live in the water, and you're living in your little stream, and all you can do is look out at the land, and you can say, I'm not free. I want to be up on the land. And the fish gets up at land to find what? Not that he's more free, but that he's less free. When we recognize God for who he is, when we believe that we were called for a specific purpose and we're willing to obey that purpose, I think that we find the most freedom in our life. We don't find less freedom. We find more. We find freedom to be the people that God designed us to be. I'm hoping that I make that type of freedom sound pretty great. But I think that it's actually really hard to do on a daily basis. And depending on your age, your sex, your background, your culture, your job description, your family status, whatever that is, that can become really hard because these quote-unquote freedoms often sound somewhat restrictive. We can feel restricted in our relationships when we say, I love this person and I know We're not married. I know I've not committed my whole life to them, but I feel restricted that I can't be with them the way that I might want to be. Or maybe you're a a young parent and you say, oh, I have this child and yes, I love them. Thankfully, biology sort of makes us love our children because they're so infuriating at times. And you say things like, 
you know what, I'm going to stay at work because it's just easier for me there. It's just easier for me to leave parenting as my B game. It's easy to leave whatever it is. There are so many temptations in our life, and we feel restricted by them. And we think if we could just do what we wanted to do, that we would be more free. And that is exactly the opposite, I have found, of what real freedom actually is. See, we were designed to love each other. We were designed to forgive each other. We were designed to be selfless. We were designed to make the world look like heaven through our work. When we say things like, you know what, I don't really like this job, but it pays a ton of money and I'm going to do that. That's not the freedom that we're really looking for. We are not going to find our ultimate purpose by choosing a job or a spouse or any of those things because we feel like they're going to get us the things that we are looking for outside of God's plan. And I know it's a temptation, but I would urge everyone, find your freedom in Christ. Find your freedom within the bounds of the laws that God gives us because God does not give us these laws to keep us from happiness. God gives us these laws because it is how we will live our fullest life. Number two, which technically means I'm halfway done because I've already done one point and one aside. Who are we? Paul tells us who we are. And I think that as Americans, this question is actually better interpreted, am I significant? Am I significant? And if the answer is yes, then what is that? Well, if we answer this question on our own, we often find ourselves in a lot of trouble. And the reason that is is because when we answer that on our own, we can only apply some sort of subjective value to it. So I could say, I'm significant because I, I don't know, I'm sort of struggling here. Because I'm Lori's husband, yes. Right, so... I went to the pancake breakfast, this fundraiser yesterday, and I looked around. I didn't really know anybody, but everybody there knew Lori. And then my daughter came, you know, waltzing in with several of her friends, and, and I there was Talia's dad. So when I'm at the elementary school, I'm only significant because of my family. Um, you just threw me off here. That's as far as that one can go, because I can't, I can't integrate it any further. Um, what makes us significant? What makes us, so if we say, well, I'm significant because I'm a productive member of society. Well, what do we do with all the people who forever, for whatever reason, can't be productive? Or if we say, I'm significant because I'm super smart. What does that mean about all the people who aren't as smart? And we've had times in our world's history where people have said, we are significant because we are in fill-in-the-blank with their nationality or their uh, level of intelligence or whatever it is and what happens to the people who aren't. What happens to the people who aren't? And so if we decide that we can define for ourselves what makes us significant, then we also have to recognize that other people can do that. 
And when people start deciding who's important and who's not, it typically leads our world to things like the Holocaust. So what is it that gives us significance? Well, Paul tells us here. He says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. You see, ultimately, we are significant for only one reason. Because God made us. We are significant because God loves us. And that significance is something that transcends every other thing. All of a sudden, it doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your social status is. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. We are all significant because God loves us. And if God loves us equally, how can we do anything else other than love everybody else equally? And the most amazing thing is that we don't have to earn that title or place. God gives it to us for free just because we're born. We are God's created, his beloved. And this actually makes Christianity very different than every other religion. See, in most other systems of beliefs and in and all other religions that I'm aware of, if you do certain things, right, if you follow a certain set of rules, if you are good enough, if you do these certain actions, then you can earn heaven or nirvana or peace or whatever that is. But it's only in Christianity where God is straight up honest with his people. And he basically says, you all are a bunch of stinkers. And I don't care because I created you and I love you. That is who we are. That is where we get our significance. And if you ever think, if you ever doubt that you are not valued by God, if you ever question if God really loves you, consider this. Jesus, on purpose, by design, was betrayed and abandoned by his friends. He was lied about in an effort to have him found guilty of a crime he didn't commit. He was tortured, he was mocked, he was humiliated, and finally he was murdered in one of the most painful and horrific ways ever devised by man. And why? Just on the chance that any one of us might want to be reconciled to God. Just in case we decided that we want that, that's what he did. I had a friend come and ask me to borrow some money a couple of months ago, and it was not an insignificant sum of money. And I sat down with him and I said, yes, I will help you out. But I have one condition. And, you know, his eyes lit up. I think that he had felt some sort of relief. And I said, you got to stop smoking. And this, like, puzzlement, this bewilderment came across his face. And I said, look, I'm happy to loan you money, but if you really need this money, then that means that you need it more than you need to be buying $10 a pack of cigarettes, right? At two packs a day, you're talking like 140, weeks, 140 bucks a week here, bud, right? So you multiply that by four weeks and a month, and all of a sudden, that's a lot of money. So I am willing to sacrifice for you if you are willing to sacrifice for you. 
And he said, well, you know, this is going to be really hard. I've been smoking for like 10 years. I don't know if I can stop. I said, look, I'll help you out. But if you're not willing to sacrifice for your financial well-being, then why should I sacrifice for your financial well-being? And he promised me he would quit. But I was ready to say no. And I think that this is the way that a lot, like, this is sort of how we operate within our culture. Listen, if you're willing to do something for you, then I'll come help you. But if you're not willing to do something for you, then don't ask me for it. That seems internally unjust. But that's not how Jesus treated us. He didn't say, you know, for all of you who are going to take me up on this offer, I'll do it. He put that out there on the hope that you would do it. Why are we significant? We're significant because God loves us deeply. And on a, on a last note for this point here, God didn't love us because we're lovely. I think we're actually the opposite. God didn't come after us because we were busy trying to find him. God didn't love us because in any way we earned it. God loved us when we're at our ugliest, both on the inside and the outside. God loves us despite our evil desires, despite our selfishness, our deceit, our anger, our inconsistencies, our lusts, our desire for more at the expense of others, our jealousies, and our self-righteous attitudes. God loves us just because he made us. And lastly, what's our purpose? Paul says to us, grace to you and peace from God. The biggest need that we have, if you believe that there is a God, is peace with that God. Our separation from him is literally what broke the world. And I love all those jokes where people talk about breaking the internet and breaking the... I remember after Trump was elected, we, people in America actually broke the Canadian immigration website because it got so many hits. I just find those things hilarious. Um, but when we sinned, when people decided that they wanted to be God instead of letting God be God, it literally broke the world. It broke us as people, and God's perfect world turned into what we have, which is pretty amazing. But our world is far from perfect. Peace with God is what we need the most. And when we recognize God for who he is, when we correctly define ourselves, when we submit to God, we put ourselves on a path towards peace with God. So our purpose is to be redeemed. I, I'm not going to talk about this second one, um, but I have a feeling it's going to come up during our uh, series. We sort of have this dual purpose, but tied around the same thing. So our primary purpose is to be reconciled to God. That's what God wants for us. But it's also to help in the redemption and the reconciliation of others. And I find this uh, 
this phrase that Paul uses to be quite funny. He says to those sanctified, and sanctified is like a fancy word for being without sin, being perfect. He says to all of you who are sanctified, and then he spends the next like dozen chapters telling them why they're a bunch of stinkers. And I think that that's funny. So he says like they're here you are, like you're perfect, you're without sin, but then his letter goes, to, goes on to correct all of these very sinful attitudes and actions that they were doing. So how can that be? Um, so this man by the name of David Powelson uh, explains it this way. He says that there are three places or like three different reference points for being sanctified. There's the past, the present, and the future. He said, in the past tense, and this is what Paul is referring to here, You've already been sanctified by Jesus' sacrifice. He says, you've been saved. He said, in the present tense, your sanctification is being worked out. God is working throughout your life and days, years, and decades to remake you in the likeness of Jesus. You're being saved. So you've been saved, you're being saved, and then in the future, you're going to be perfected. You're going to, uh, the way that you live, the love that you have is going to be perfected. You're going to see God's face when he decisively acts to complete his work of conforming you to the image of Jesus. You will be saved. I thought that was a great way. That is our purpose, to be reunited with God, to become fully sanctified, which means the freedom to be who God designed us to be. Uh, Please stand. I'm going to pray and then give the benediction. God, may we see ourselves the way that you see us. God, may we rightly see the world around us. God, may we interpret things through the lens of you. Help us, Lord, to see this place as our mission field. God, help us to work hard to make earth look more like heaven. God, may we do it the way that you would have us do it. God, may we love others the way that you loved us. God, may we love ourselves the way that you love us. God, thank you for being just and loving and merciful. Thank you, God, for the ultimate plan of salvation that you put in place so that we can be reconciled to you. In your name I would pray. Amen. From Jude, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.